Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is James Freeman, originally from Melbourne, coming to you live from New York City. And you're listening the tennis podcast well hello everybody and thank you james for introducing the tennis podcast post queens post haller berlin birmingham and yes they all had their finals at exactly the same time because that's what tennis does at times like this um but that was an excellent uh, intro thank you james from melbourne via new york uh, catherine is here hello catherine hello david hello matt how are you been on holiday yes i'm in i'm in my casparood grass court era in that <laughs> i'm not quite doing grass court tennis yet uh, I've been going to concerts, playing golf, doing all sorts of things. But I have I have brushed up on the week past in tennis and feel somewhat ready to contribute to this podcast. Yeah, yeah, I would like to say I feel like you've done a lot more towards the grass court season than Casper <laughs> Ruud has at this point. I mean, uh, I, I get that Novak Djokovic can just put his feet up for two and a half weeks and then pitch up and have a few days practice and be ready to try and win his, what, eighth title. But what is Kasparu thinking at the moment? <laughs> are, we, are we okay with that? Is it, are we, can you just do that if you've reached the French Open final and accept that maybe you're, you're unlikely to do that well on grass anyway? So, Who is less focused on tennis ahead of the grass court season, Casper Rude or Stefanos Tsitsipas? <laughs> yeah, Close one he, thing, I'd say. Stefanos does seem to have a lot going on in his world. Um, I, do, I, I do struggle to follow it at times, but uh, and I, and I, I have da- to say... David I, won't engage with Tsitsipas. It doesn't matter how no. much we thrust it <laughs> to his attention in our WhatsApp group. David just sort of does an eye roll and tries to move the conversation along. It's a bit like when you start talking about what's on the set list for the, for the concert that you're not even going to. And I just <laughs> started to, to glaze over. It's about the only thing I don't seem to partake in. And I, I, I'm pretty sure then conversations just depart onto another group that I'm not in. Mm. But You'll never okay. know, David. I, I don't want to be in it, so it's fine. <laughs> there is, hang on, just to confirm before Matt's and my reputations are besmirched here, there is no separate Sitsidosa WhatsApp group. No, 
No. Just a no. Taylor Swift group. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, actually, I was thinking, we, we didn't talk about how last week, the week before the one just gone, we all went to a concert in the same week. Different concerts. We did, didn't we? That's true. That would be quite a fun game how for tennis cool podcast listeners, actually. Guess who went to which concert? Yes. Very good. Very do good. We, do we give them multiple choice and actually give them the three options or not? Well, can you correctly assign who went to Harry Styles, who went to Bruce Springsteen and who went to Pink? Yes. I think, yes, our listeners can. Okay. Probably. The Although there's one that would maybe just get people wondering. Mm. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Well... <laughs> Do write in, folks, and see if you can work it out. And the first one who gets it right, we will congratulate on the next <laughs> tennis podcast. <laughs> okay, who'd have thought it would go in that uh, direction, this tennis podcast? Well, I'm presenting it, so no massive surprise. Let's start where Catherine's been all week at Queen's, where Carlos Alcaraz has won the title, 6-4-6-4 in the final, despite having nearly got knocked out in the first round. I mean, am I exaggerating there, Catherine? I mean, he, was, he seemed to be right on the, the, the cusp of defeat against... Who was it against? He, he was at a late replacement, Arta, wasn't he? Arta Rinderknecht, yeah, lucky loser who came in for another French Arta, Arta Fies, um, who, as we discussed on the last podcast, had qualified. We were super pumped ahead of Alcaraz Fies, and then on the morning of that match... Poor old Artifice had to withdraw with a hamstring issue, I think. And it's prevented him from playing Wimbledon qualifying. I'm hopeful that he will get one of the last remaining wild cards. He wasn't in the original list. I think he I think he'll be fit in a week's time, but he wasn't fit to play this week. So yeah, Arta Rindekinesh gets the call up, and of course he's he looks like a grass quarter, doesn't he? He's looks like he's been stretched out. Big serve, comfortable up at the net. Just a a tricky customer for somebody finding their feet. Not not someone you want to come up against first round when you're you're a bit you know, like a fresh freshly hatched giraffe. Um I have to say I never quite felt like Alcaraz was gonna lose that match. It it always felt like one where he'd find a way, but then I, I probably would have said the same against old Fabian Marajan. Was that his name? Yeah, Fabio Fabian Marajan. <laughs> that that's a name that's definitely going to be in our end of year quiz, isn't it? Um, <laughs> and he ended up losing that one, so I could well have been wrong. Um, but yeah, that was that was the closest he came to losing the entire week. It turned out. I think uh, his best performance was against Grigor Dimitrov no his best performance was against Sebastian Corder in the semi-finals although Corder was poor um so it was quite going into yesterday's final against Alex de Menor, who's some grass quarter actually so, better on grass than I had really realized ahead of this week I think when I see that men have won Eastbourne titles I always go hi well yeah but who really plays Eastbourne in in the men's? I mean, the big guns don't play the week before a slam, do they? That's just not how it rolls. So I always kind of take that with a pinch of salt. But he's he's definitely beefed up his game. Alex de Menor was a real revelation. So yeah, back to Carlos Alcaraz. It was quite difficult going into the final to know 
how well he was actually playing because it had looked really good. But actually he'd had a few players consecutively put in quite disappointing performances against him. They were really playing the Carlos Alcaraz reputation. And unfortunately, I'm I'm looking at Grigor Dimitrov there in the quarterfinals. And, and well, I thought that was the case a little with Seb Corder in the semi-final, but it turned out he was carrying a bit of an injury, which honestly, I'm almost relieved to hear that there is an explanation for his semi-final performance because, David, I was high on Seb Corder this week. I I was believing the hype. I was all in. Uh, and he had been great. I'd picked him to, to win the tournament at the start of the week. And I, I felt really good about it, even though he was playing Carlos Alcaraz in the semi-finals. I, I think he was playing the best tennis of the week. And then he threw in an absolute stinker of a performance against Alcaraz. So I'm gutted for him that he's injured yet again. I don't know how serious it is, but I'm almost relieved <laughs> that, no, I know, I know what you that mean. there was you, an explanation. You want an explanation, don't you, in a situation like that, when you've seen him play that well? Because having not known that he was injured, I wondered whether this is a bit of a trait, a bit of a character flaw as a competitor in Seb Corder, because... I've seen him do that before, play a level that makes me really think that he is he's going to be right up there and, and able to contend with all the very best players in the world when he beat Medvedev at the start of the year. But then, of course, he did have an injury that kept him out for several months. But I don't want the the fundaments of his game to be less than I think that they are. That would be a real disappointment to me. I mean, obviously, I don't want him to be injured either, but at least that then makes some sense. And I think those fundaments are, great word, by the way, more than they were in Australia when he was making that breakthrough uh, against Daniel Medvedev because, in his own words, he's got a new body. He was determined to use that really ill-timed injury to his advantage to use it as a positive and he said you know it was tough but I've come back with a completely new body he employed Jess, Jez Green he employed Mark Bender he just went to the the Andy Murray cast-offs bin <laughs> <laughs> said get me some of that please um, and it's worked out he's bigger he's stronger he's more consistent I think he just looks more secure because he's got that more solid foundation and he looks mentally stronger because he obviously has this confidence in his in his body and in his, his endurance i mean maybe the fact that he's picked up this niggle will will shake that newfound confidence but the way he was talking last week after a second round victory at queens can't even quite against francis tiafo wasn't it which was a a great win um, Tiafo, I think, a little bit on fumes from winning Stuttgart. But after a second round victory at Queen's, Seb Corder comes in the interview room and says, I'm a contender at Wimbledon. He put himself in the mix. It was, I really, I, as as I'm sure you can imagine, I loved that. And I believed it. I ran with it. I mean, I wasn't suddenly going, Corder's going to win Wimbledon. But I definitely felt like this guy's different. He's got all the talent that we've known about for years, but there is something different going on here. And um, imagine my disappointment at how that semi-final unfolded. I thought it was going to be epic. 
and it absolutely was not. Yeah, Battlegrounds was very, very good, and it turns out, you know, as evidenced by the fact that he won won the final against a very, very good Alex de Menor, really was playing well on grass by the end of the week. Well, what, what do you think, Matt, about Alcaraz now? He's coming to this tournament. It's such, I find it such an interesting little period of his career because he's had this fantastic year. He's got over the, the main injury he had. He's underlined all the things that we think about him. And then he's run into Djokovic and he's kind of frozen in, the, in this match. And Djokovic has caused it as well with his, his excellent play. I think he was brilliant on the day. And, but, but the aura of Djokovic got to Alcaraz. He was quite open about that. And he cramped and he, he just capitulated in that match, which was shocking, shocking to me because I really didn't imagine that that would be something that would happen. He's bounced out of that. He, he sounded not particularly up on his chances after this first match win against Rindiknesh. And then, and then suddenly he gets a win that he is happy about and he's like a different player. And he's, he's lo- not lost a set since. He looks totally at home on the grass. I mean, I, uh, my feeling was it was like watching Nadal at Queen's in 08 when he beat Djokovic. And then, when, I mean, look, he went and won Wimbledon. Now, he'd got some more reps under his belt. He'd already been to two Wimbledon finals by that point. But there was a feeling of, crikey, I've, I've, I can do this. <laughs> this is great. But, I mean, what do you think about Carlos Alcaraz now, grass court player, Wimbledon around the corner. Where'd you put him in at all? Well, I put him as the second favourite to win Wimbledon. I mean, I might have been there already before this week, to be honest, just just because I think the gap uh, between Djokovic and the rest of the field is is so big at Wimbledon with his experience there. And generally, Alcaraz is better than everyone else in the world and no one else really stands out as a grass court player. So I was probably already thinking that Alcaraz was second favourite at Wimbledon, but even more so now. Uh, I think you used a you used a bit of a football term there, David, which I was going to use in terms of his sort of ability to bounce back. His his bounce back ability, I think, is is something that managers always talk about, and it's it's a trait that it's a trait that tennis players really do need because you know most of the time you lose. Even even the great players lose more tournaments than they win, and. I'm really impressed with the way Alcaraz has responded from that um, defeat to Novak Djokovic, which I think would have been a, a real blow to him. He seems to have rediscovered the joy of, of, of playing tennis instantly, once again. And it actually makes me think back to that quite sort of harrowing, chastening defeat he had at the end of, I think it was 2021, to Hugo Gaston. Hugo Gaston? Mm, in... In Paris, of yes. course, because that's the only city in which Hugo Gaston can play tennis, apparently. Um, and that was a that was a thing at the time where we thought, gosh, that might affect Alcaraz in the future. You know, he, he sort of froze mm. the the crowd, got on top of him. He really didn't deal with it well. And then it's almost like that didn't happen because he just came out the next season and, and was just fresh and brilliant. And we all know what he did last year. So I think that is a trait that Alcaraz has. And it's a really, it's a really good one to have. Um, and in terms of his, his grass court game, I mean, I think, I think the movement is probably the one area where I still think he looks worse on grass compared to the other 
surfaces. You know, he can still get around the court incredibly well. It's just a little bit less natural, I suppose. But you realise that he's got so many elements to his game which are going to be great on grass. The way he can flatten out his backhand, I think, is really useful. That was that was particularly noticeable against Corder, I felt, when they were sort of trading backhands. Alcaraz felt pretty comfortable. Uh, he's got an ability to take the ball early on his forehand and cause damage with that shot. And he's very happy coming up to the net and finishing points there. And he can use his slice backhand if he's in a little bit of trouble as well. And so I think the game is is set up for grass pretty well. And honestly, him winning this title is just yet another little element of just Alcaraz doing things so quickly. You know, I I had a look. I think I think this was his third tournament on grass, wasn't it? After a couple of Wimbledons yeah. and then he he's won Queens. I mean, Federer won his 12th grass court tournament. That was the first time he won a tournament on grass. Djokovic was also 12. Mary was 10 and Nadal was 8. I mean, Alcaraz has won his third. I mean, you know, there were there are some differences, you know, in, in there, Nadal had also reached two Wimbledon finals before he, he won his first grass court tournament, you know. So, like for like comparison, maybe maybe not quite, uh, you know, applicable here. But I think it just shows that he's going to be a great, great player on a grass court. I don't know whether he's ready to beat Novak Djokovic this year over five sets on grass. But maybe the French Open experience will help him. You know, he might he might go in if he does play Djokovic. I don't think he would be favourite to beat Djokovic at Wimbledon. He might be able to play with a little bit less tension in his body than he had at Roland Garros. And I would love to see a, a still quite raw Carlos Alcaraz on grass go up against just a seasoned, experienced, all-time great in Novak Djokovic. Um, yeah, so... Basically, that's a very long answer to say that I think uh, Carlos Alcaraz is in a in a pretty great place going into Wimbledon. Very good answer as well. I really uh, enjoyed that, and uh, and I I agree with you. I I loved as somebody who we all worked for many years at the Queen's Club, me for twenty five years. I loved seeing him with that trophy. I I just felt it was a really special moment. But that that trophy goes back decades so many decades and the place was packed i mean they had 10,000 people every single day the crowds were absolutely extraordinary at that tournament uh, this last week and and to see him engage with them the way he does i mean i was watching all of your coverage cam catherine on prime and and you would you would hold the chat with your your fellow with one of your pundits, Annabel Croft or Tim Hemmen or Gregor Zedski or Daniel Hantikova, whilst one of the others was waiting for Alcaraz to come off the court to do an interview live on your on your service, and it was taking fifteen minutes <laughs> because he was just signing and having selfies with anybody who wanted them, and the the people just loved him. It's hard to know whether they loved him more or he loved it more. He just seems so happy in that environment. Yeah, and I, uh, I actually I spoke to another um, colleague, Marcus Buckland, who was at uh, the Queen's Club last week doing Q&As with players in the hospitality areas. And, uh, you know, that's the, that's the prawn sandwich, sandwich brigade, you know, that a lot of what they've paid a very, very steep price for is you know you get to be in the presence of 
players and you get to hear from them, you know, special guest. Um, and he said during the, the, the ones that are scheduled for that happened during Alcaraz's matches, they were having to cancel because nobody was in the hospitality suites. Wow. Every single bum was on a seat. Um, and that is just something different, isn't it? That is an extra level of electricity and magnetism um, beyond even other very exciting names in the game. There is just something else with Carlos Alcaraz. Mm. And I think it's, I mean, the tournament must just be so frigging delighted that he's won that trophy because now he's going to want to come back, isn't he? He's not going to want to change a winning game and to have him feel a loyalty and an association with that tournament at this stage of his career, you know, with a decade, maybe two ahead of him, is massive for for the championships. Yeah, no, I think it was big too. I also thought it was great to see a, an Australian in the final again. We, there were years where we had Leighton Hewitt winning that tournament and he's so close to Alex Diminor. He would have told Diminor about that place and you could see how much it meant to Diminor to play that well. I mean, he you know he beat Andy Murray really convincingly, and he, he beat Holger Rune pretty easily as well. I mean, he was he was excellent. And look, he came up against a guy who does what he does, but he's just better at it. Uh, he hits it harder. He runs just as fast, if not faster. And he was he was too much for him in the final. But uh, but I think that's encouraging for Diminor. You know, he 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 should expect to have his best Wimbledon yet. I think off the back of this, absolutely, absolutely. Look, he's he's been a good grass quarter for a, for a while. He's won won a title in Eastbourne. He's he's had good results. He's been in a semi final in Queens. He's had good results. But this looked different to me. He's beefed up his game for sure. I understand he changed his strings at the start of the season, the, the physical strings, not the tension. Um, and it, he knew that that was going to be a long-term or medium-term investment in his game, that it would initially make him worse. There'd be a period of adjustment. And I think he's been through that. He's weathered it and he's coming out the other side and he's now in the, the dividend, the payoff stage. And there definitely looks to be an extra few miles per hour on his ground strokes on his serve he's serving consistently in the 130s which is not something I think of with Alex de Menor and hitting the spots as well um he's so good at staying low obviously he's incredibly quick I don't think he's in the mix for Wimbledon I think there remains a ceiling to his game but I think he's pushed that ceiling up a little um, and it's good to see. I'm happy for him. And he also said he was very much inspired by what his girlfriend, Katie Bolter, had done in Nottingham the week before. He said that it really helped with his self-belief and motivation. So a grass court power couple. Mm. Uh, just uh, one final note. S- sorry, from... Paula and Steph. Another <laughs> grass court power, power couple. Maybe they will be inspiration for Sitsi Dossa, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, one, uh, one final note from Queen's, actually. I, uh, such were the, the photos of Alcaraz with that trophy, that which is a giant silver trophy, that it, it ended up with him on the, the cover of many of the sports pages of 
of the national newspapers here in the UK. But interesting to see that the actual headline used in the Telegraph was not one about him winning the tournament. It wasn't one about looking forward to Wimbledon. The headline reads, Alcaraz, yes, I will play in Saudi Arabia. Now, over the last couple of days, stories have been written about moves being made by Saudi Arabia to to take a, a closer interest in tennis. And I mean, I think that that has been an ongoing conversation from what the reports say between certainly the ATP's Andrea Gaudenzi, the, the chairman of the ATP, and I think conversations have been had certainly in the past with the WTA, I've, I've heard about. Um, there is... I think suggestions, I don't know whether it's confirmed yet, but certainly suggestions that the next-gen finals are going to be moving to Saudi Arabia. And, I mean, this comes at a time when sport is not just receiving an influx of investment from Saudi Arabia, but is nigh on being taken over certain sports or certain parts of sports. I mean, this, this all sort of took off in the golf world when the Live Tour came along as a rival to the PGA Tour and... A lot of players were encouraged and enticed to go across and join that tour and leave the PGA Tour. And suddenly that has now uh, been overwhelmed by the two joining forces or, depending on who you, who you believe, Saudi Arabia literally taking over the PGA Tour and uh, investing and, and being called the, the exclusive investor uh, for a period of time. There are massive Premier League soccer football stars that are being enticed to go over to Saudi Arabia from the Premier League and other European countries. And it does appear that this is on the cards, Catherine, for, for, for tennis. It's not a surprise to us. It's something we've we've talked about as a sort of hypothetical in the past, but expecting it to happen. Um, and, yeah, Alcraz found himself asked about it in a press conference following Queen's. Again, not a surprise, given the stories that are around at the moment. And I don't think those questions end here. Gosh, absolutely not. I've been bracing myself for this for a while. Um, and given the recent news about the the public investment fund in Saudi Arabia and the PGA forming a a partnership, whatever you want to whatever you want to call it, that sets a template, I think, for the Saudi Arabian state to buy off portions of the sporting world in order to buy legitimacy in the wider world. Um, this is sports washing and it is, um, it's a no brainer that they would go for tennis. <laughs> I mean, tennis's governance structure is an absolute mess if I were the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund, I'd be looking around sports going, who's who's ripe for a a, a, a takeover, a battle? Um, and I would instantly look at tennis. Um, and if te- tennis hasn't been... I mean, it, in my head, I was thinking, gosh, tennis needs to arm itself and prepare its defences for the potential Saudi assault. You know, I thought it would come via the back door, via... A, some sort of um, collaboration with the PTPA or, I, I don't know, some sort of rival tour. It sounds sadly, and maybe this is assisted by what's happened with the PGA, like it might be a far more 
legitimised um, attack through the through the front door of partnering with the governing bodies themselves, which is utterly demoralising um, and depressing. I think we all have thoughts and feelings and are um, preparing ourselves for having to talk about this a lot and also having to, to judge how much to talk about it because we know that people come to sport for relief and levity but equally this stuff matters and the relief and the levity is a lot of why sports washing works um so it's crap it's really crap uh, but it's not surprising no no and it's not going to go away anytime soon i don't think you know we 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 had a little chat about this before we came on and we we're not going to do a, a huge deep dive right now but i mean it's it's going to be talked about uh, on this show and and far beyond in the weeks and months to come i just have one more issue related thing david while we're on you know generalized crap oh yeah uh, <laughs> new section just one more issue uh thrown up by queens that i just wanted to um highlight which was it's it's June, it's Pride Month in the UK at the moment and in a lot of places around the world. And the Sins Championships, the LTA, had Pride Day at the tournament on Thursday. And a lot of tournaments had Pride Day, have Pride Day these days. The French Open had Pride Day, didn't they? There wasn't much that we could see anyway. There wasn't an awful lot of activation around that at the French Open. I saw a few signs on screens and all the rest of it. Look, it's better that they do it than not. I would like to see more, um, more done around it. But I was really impressed by how much Queen's did around Pride Day. There was, distrib- all of the stewards were wearing rainbow wristbands and rainbow paraphernalia. There were rainbow flags flying. There, It was really all in on it. It was very, very visible and I thought that was really impressive. They were dishing out rainbow laces and rainbow wristbands and so on in the media center for anybody that wanted them. Um, so that's all really, really positive and great. But not a single player wore any pride paraphernalia, not shoelaces, not wristbands. Now, I don't think they were, uh, in fact, I know they weren't actively asked to. I don't not suggesting for a moment anybody refused to do that. But those wristbands and laces were available and nobody proactively opted to make a statement that needs to be made because men's tennis has and continues to have a problem. It is not a safe space for gay players. The fact that there are no openly gay, active male players and never has been is proof enough of that. Men's tennis has a problem and if you're not if you're not actively working to solve that problem, then you're part of it. Um, and I don't, it's not an attack on any individual player, it's a culture. And it was just, it was just disappointing. I mean, it was uplifting, there was lots of uplifting stuff about Pride Day, but that element of it was, was disappointing. Yeah. Um, just on the subject of uh, final subject of, of Queens, actually, just as a, a as a tangent, because Matt talked about um, we were talking about how uh, the 
Alcaraz Rindeknesh match was going on, and I I wasn't able to watch this, which is why I was asking you how close he came to defeat. And the reason I wasn't able to watch it is because we were at Wimbledon, Matt and me, that day, and we were we were there for a very very good reason. And uh, you may have already heard uh, via our social media outlets or via our newsletter that we are going to be doing something a bit different at Wimbledon this year, starting just in a few days' time. We are going to be on site, and we are going to be live from Wimbledon. We are going to be streaming the tennis podcast every single night on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, live from Wimbledon. You'll still be able to get your podcasts, same as you always do, but if you want to watch us, <laughs> if you want to watch us do it live, if you want to watch Catherine and me have the arguments that we edit <laughs> out sometimes, <laughs> we're not going to be able to do that, are we, Catherine? Maybe we just will. Maybe, we'll just, maybe we just won't be able to help ourselves and they'll just happen anyway. Um, <laughs> do hope so. Um, and uh, yeah, that'll all be happening. Overlooking Court 18, Matt and I were checking it out. Got a picnic table. The, the got... big Wimbledon announcement coming in hot after the crap section. Yeah. <laughs> Saudi Arabia, Pride <laughs> Day with no players doing anything. And, uh, oh, good news. <laughs> uh, anyway, yes. So the good news follows the crap news, folks, here on the Tennis Podcast. And, yeah, so our link to our YouTube channel is in our show notes. Um, if you would like to sign up to that and just basically keep across our social media outlets and you'll know when we're going live basically we're going to do a live show on draw day at uh, 6 p.m uk time we're gonna that's friday friday of this week uh matt will be there from about four in the morning queuing up to (laughs) to to get into the draw um and then uh, saturday is media day where we do all the interviews with players so we'll be uh, reflecting and reacting to what we've seen and heard um in a show that we reckon will probably be about 4 30 p.m uk but i'm keeping that a little bit vague just because uh i don't know when media day will start and end completely yet we haven't had the full schedule um and then every single night we'll be live after the final singles match on court's Centre court and court number one. Um, so what time that will be, who knows. My guess is around about nine o'clock UK time every night. But uh, depends how long all the matches go, of course. But uh, we hope you will come along and watch us. Uh, and if you don't, you can listen to the podcast. But we're, we're very excited, Catherine. And most of all, I think you know we've been speaking to Wimbledon for, for quite a while about this. I think more than anything, I'm just happy that Wimbledon want us to be us. They don't want to change us. They just want to have us there and doing our thing and helping us to do it. And and I'm really, really chuffed. Co-signed. Really, really chuffed. It's brilliant. It's very exciting. Live arguments. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you'll be able to look at Matt feeling awkward whilst we... Mm. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, I need to work on my face. Oh dear. We only had a couple during Rolling Garros. <laughs> uh, most of the time we get along famously, don't we, Catherine? We're still going 11 years on. More than 1,100 episodes. Come on, it's not that bad. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tiebreak or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with Legends of the Game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Right, I think it's high time we went to Germany here on the Tennis Podcast. And we're going to start in Germany in Berlin, uh, where Petra Kvitova ruined my day yesterday because I had gone for Donna Vekic to win the title in the newsletter at the start of the week and I thought I was going to win 340 points Matt in the end I won zero points because uh, Petra Kvitova played out of her mind in the final I mean even if you only get chance to see match point take that chance because Donna Vekic hit one of the best shots she could possibly hit off the back edge of the baseline and Kvitova just took one backward step and swiped it down the line for a winner with a forehand. I mean, it was staggering how well she was striking the ball. And what is that, 31 titles now for her? I mean, what a career she's put together. Mm, yeah, 31 titles, uh, six on on grass now. And I think I remember very distinctly having the conversation after she won in Miami, will this be the high point of her season? And I think I think we all sort of said, probably, but do not count her out on the grass and at Wimbledon. And the thing with Petra Kvitova is we don't really know when she's going to play well. She doesn't really seem to know when she's going to play well. But the most likely time of year is grass court season. And she's she's continued to win big tournaments as her career has gone on on the grass um she won Eastbourne last year as well and the players she beat in Berlin all have some pretty serious grass court 
pedigree. You know, it was Caroline Garcia, Carolina Pliskova, Ekaterina Alexandrova, Donna Vekic. You know, these are these are players who none of them reaching the second week at Wimbledon would surprise me. And Kvitova had to go through all of them in Berlin, and she did it extremely convincingly. And yeah, I mean, we were we were privy to some of Pam Shriver's thoughts um, as she was sort of coaching Donna Vekic remotely and then she put it on Twitter as well so I feel like we can say that you know Pam Pam felt that Donna didn't really do too much wrong in in that final and it was just proof of how good of a grass court player that Petra Kvitova is and always has been and I think Donna Vekic can be very pleased with her week it's it's more it's more proof of just the progress that that she's made in the last nine months or so, continually reaching the latter stages of big tournaments and threatening to win them. But she came up against a great, great grass court player playing brilliant tennis. And honestly, if Petra Kvitova plays like that, absolutely. There is nobody she can't beat at Wimbledon, I think. It is, it's one of those where it's kind of down to her. Predictions, nightmare. Totally. So is she in the mix? Definitely. She has to be. Yeah, she's in the mix. Absolutely, She's also in the mix to lose first round. That's the problem. Because it's whether she's, it's whether she's on. Yeah, yeah. And I do, and, and being on two tournaments in a row has not been a thing for, for Petra Kvitova. There's a part of my brain saying... Oh god, she's 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 done it this week, so that <laughs> well, so well, she is still in the draw for but... Oh really? Mm. Right. I think Petra Kvitova has been the the player that has cost me in the predictions more than any yes. other over the past ten <laughs> I years. I think so. My dad always says, yeah. "Is David going to predict Kvitova to win?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe this time, and that uh, wouldn't. I I wouldn't laugh at you. I mean, well, at this stage, Elena Elena Rabakina's just withdrawn from Eastbourne, hasn't she? She's still yeah. troubled by this virus um, that caused her to to withdraw from the French Open, which is really worrying. Um, that three weeks on, she's still not right ahead of her Wimbledon title defence. Um, Petra Gavitova is in my mix would not surprise me at all if she won Wimbledon without dropping a set also wouldn't surprise me if she lost in the first round yeah yeah Mm. it's uh, well the the, all evidence would say that that is an equally plausible scenario um, based on on her record Um, but just in isolation and I'm sure I said this uh, uh, during Miami, it's just really enjoyable to watch it, to watch her play like she can, probably even more so on a a grass court because her game is so perfectly suited. And, uh, yeah, she she was nearly taken to a third set, and I actually think that that tells you how well Donna Vekic is playing right now because she had to deal with two matches in a day, the day before when the, the rain was coming down and she beat Maria Sakkari in one of those, which... Yeah, you know, that's a good win, and uh, I, I actually think she could have a a, a a run into week two. No, no problem. Uh, I don't, 
I don't see her winning the tournament, but I think she could absolutely get to a quarterfinal or maybe further. Um, and, and again, draws and who you end up against, the type of player you end up against, a lot of this stuff matters. I mean, I think she's 5-1 down in the head-to-head against Kvitova, but there are other players that might be ranked higher that I would back uh, Vekic to beat. So um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens uh, when those players get to Wimbledon, and it's only a few days away now, of course. Um, Staying in Germany, uh, Halle, which I think was celebrating its 30th year this year, wasn't it? 1993. I remember when Halle began. In 1993, (laughs) I remember Andre Agassi as the reigning Wimbledon champion signing up to play in Halle as his comeback tournament from a major wrist problem. He'd got a terrible wrist injury. I think he'd missed the French Open. And he, I think he'd missed everything, really, for, for months. And uh, and he played in the first round of Halle. They paid him an absolute fortune to be there. Um, and he he played the home player, Carl uwe Steib. Did you ever remember him? Did uh, did some Champions Tour events with him. Turns yeah. out that I was today years old when I learned that I was pronouncing his name wrong all those years. How do you pronounce it? Okay, so I've just been pronouncing it wrong for about 42 years then. Okay. No, no, I'm assuming you're right, David. Oh, okay. Let's let's assume I am. Uh, Anyway, he he was playing in the old Jim Courier shirt, the stripy shirt with the green sleeves, and uh, he went and beat Andre Agassi in the first round. And uh, Agassi, as the reigning Wimbledon champion, went to Wimbledon, and then started to play really well. He got through to the quarterfinals. And then he ran into Pete Sampras and lost in five sets, obviously. Anyway, uh, Haller, that was 30 years ago. Um, 30 years on, Roger Federer, who's, who's won it how many times, Matt? Do we, do we know? Ten. He's about ten, something like that. Ten, um, I think. He came back for a little knockabout and uh, to celebrate with the tournament because he played there his whole career, barring the, the one year he played Queens and lost to Byron Black. Um, <laughs> six love, six three. Um, but uh, yes, uh, Roger Federer was back in town and they they had an, a bit like Queens, another fantastic crowd. I mean, they, they really do get a great turnout there. Don't like their shadow much, um, but very, very much enjoyed the tennis of Alexander Bublik all week. He was absolutely brilliant and he was combining... Matt, I feel like he was combining fun and games and what he's got to entertain you with, with success. I mean, that is the sweet spot. Mm. And it's a sweet spot that he hasn't really found, certainly recently. I mean, his his form in the last year or so has been really not very good. And I think I think when he broke through, he was the fun guy, wasn't he? And he, and he carried that with him for quite a while. And he, I think he did reach a point where actually everyone was like, Actually, Bublik's quite good now. And then it's really tailed off since then. And I don't think he's found that balance between, you know, underarm serves and really knuckling down and, and doing what's right. You know, obviously, sometimes the underarm serve is right, but he's, he's just never really got that blend right, I think, in the last year or so. And this this has come out of nowhere for him to win... Haller and 
just as I said about Petra Kvitova, I mean, the list of players that he beat, Rublev, Zverev, Chorich, Struff and Sinner, albeit by retirement, that's five players in a row in the top 25 that he beat there. And he had lost 15 of his last 17 matches against top 25 players. So to suddenly win five in a row is is really quite quite wild. And honestly, it makes sense. Like to me, Bublik should have a good record against higher ranked players because he can he can disrupt he can disrupt them. He can throw them off. It's it's more the weekly the weekly grind and getting out of the first or second round that I suppose I is, is where I don't back Bublik. Uh, but. To put himself in a position to play these this many top players in a row and sort of gain the momentum and, and beat them one after the other was was just so impressive. Unfortunately, he does now have the Haller curse, which is this which is this thing that anyone who wins Haller who isn't Roger Federer loses in the first round at Wimbledon. And it I mean it's been going back years. Cole Schreiber, Meyer, Chorich, Umber, Hercatch, Tommy Haas. I mean, it, it, honestly, it goes back to about 2011 or something. Um, and I would not be at all surprised if Bublik did lose in the first round of Wimbledon. Um, I don't know how sustainable his brand of tennis is, as I've just sort of described. But when he gets it right, it's an absolute treat. He can, he can tie top players up in knots. And I think he can make other top players think, how do you do that? Like, you're so talented. He's got such great hands and, you know, I, I really like seeing him play well. And, it, yeah, it had been a tough period. He, he, I think he lost 10 matches in a row at the end of last season, the start of this season. Like, things were bad. And uh, I think now he's up, in, up into the top 30 again. And that, level-wise, that feels like where Bublik should be. Mm. I massively enjoyed watching him walk up to the service line <laughs> on match point against Alexander Zverev as if to say, your serve is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so and, and win the point. <laughs> I win the point. Oh, it's so funny. Anyway, uh, I'll look forward to it. I'd love Bublik to be Bublik at Wimbledon and have a run. You mm. know, I just feel like the crowds would love it. And... Uh, so, yeah, let's see if he can. Um, talking of players you want to see remind you about who they used to be, uh, we got to see Venus Williams over the last week in Birmingham, and it was joyous. It was truly joyous. She beat Camilla Georgi in a match of more than three hours. I watched, I watched all of the last sort of hour and a half of that. I was, it, it was magnetic stuff. And, I mean, it was... She had a nasty fall in the first set. She was kind of an, an, a nasty fall, which Camilla Georgie then sort of punctuated with a fist pump and a come on when 43-year-old Venus Williams is sprawling on the ground at the far end of the court. Goodness knows how injured. Well, fortunately, she wasn't badly injured. She came back and beat her and uh, eventually lost to Yelena Ostapenko in the next round. But just there was enough there, Matt, to just remind you well how good she was but also i mean it's just an amazing story she's she's still so in love with the sport she's so so much still wants to do it that she's going up to birmingham where it's raining half the time and and i know that because i'm here and it's raining <laughs> and uh <laughs> and she could be anywhere else in the world and she wants to be there doing what she does mm. oh it was 
It was so magical. It was so special. I was I was watching the closing stage of that match on my phone as I was going into London that I was just so engrossed in it. I completely forgot to tap in at the station and and have incurred incurred retrospective charges, but they were they were totally worth it for following for following Venus Williams. And honestly, I think just what you've said her her grit in that match was extraordinary you know if if i had to imagine a scenario which was sort of the least likely way for 43 year old injured venus williams to win a tennis match it would be after three and a bit hours it was it was just so improbable that she would find a way to win that match and yet because of that grit and that just unmatched seemingly love for the sport that she has and and the desire to just keep showing up and doing what she can do and and backing herself you know she backs herself she says I am Venus Williams and I can win this this tennis match and she's been doing it for (laughs) for almost 30 years as a professional and it's it's so so special and uh yeah great interview she gave afterwards where she said that she was surprised that Camilla Georgie wasn't number one in the world uh, because of the level that she was playing, and um, and she was so pleased with herself that she that she'd found her big serve after all this time. Said I hit some today that were up at one twenty, and yeah, she was that was a real actual um, great point of her game. And this match was her serve. You know, she's 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 changed that motion over the years, and you know it was it was it was working against Georgie and then you know she nearly a couple of days later backed it up and almost beat Yelena Ostapenko you know she she took that one into a third set as well and was was a break up in that third set and for her to be running players who you know are winning titles and are threats to go deep in in slams for her to be doing that off so little tennis I just think speaks to how incredibly special and how incredibly good she is. And yeah, I I was thrilled to see that she did get one of the the Wimbledon wildcards. Um, it obviously would have been absolutely shocking had she not. Um, but I I just hope she gets a she gets a centre court moment that she deserves at Wimbledon. Is Catherine? Um... Yelena Ostapenko <laughs> in the mix for Wimbledon. I mean, she's just gone and beaten Barbara Krachikova. She's managed to find a way past Venus Williams, despite things going off the ball a bit. I know you've got your history with Ostapenko. I know you've you've got a massive soft spot for her, but she did let you down terribly at the French Open. So where do you? What a where, horrible question, David. <laughs> well, yeah, you you put me in charge, and that's what you get. <laughs> I would be surprised if Yelena Ostapenko won Wimbledon. I wouldn't be surprised to see her in a semi-final. Mm. Okay, that's fair. I wouldn't be surprised that I would if a lot of other players won Wimbledon. I suppose that like if she's she... in a sub-mix, but I ultimately I would be surprised. But then if she got through to the the semi-final, she'd well, be I, well, in the yeah. mix of the title, wouldn't she? That's the difficult bit. Can she get to the semis? Ask Matt. Ask Matt these difficult questions. (laughs) Oh, thanks. (laughs) A sort of difficult question relay that we're having. Mm. Um, No, I 
I think you've put that very well. I, I think I would be surprised if Ostapenko won Wimbledon. What impressed me about her this week was similar to what I just said. I don't always think of Ostapenko as winning really close matches. I mean, she actually has got quite a good three-set record. And she won, what, four three-set matches to get to the final and then squeezed through that second set against Krejcikova. And, well, actually, both sets were tight against Krejcikova, weren't they? It looked like she was going to win it easily. And then Krejcikova mounted this comeback and Ostapenko fended her off. There is a grit to Ostapenko as well, which I think sometimes gets a bit lost amid all the... Amid all the uh, you know incredibly flat ground strokes and all the all the eye rolling at line sass. calls going against her way and all the sass, you know, there is also a Grand Slam champion in there. Um, but I would be surprised, and I, I still think I know she has won a Slam with that second serve. I just think it's very difficult to win a Slam with that second serve. Eventually, someone is just going to sort of take over, I think, on return. And that's the part of the game that always makes me really worried about Ostapenko. But she's another one that I want that I want to see do well at Wimbledon because, well, she's great. Her brand of tennis is great. She would definitely elevate proceedings in the second week if she's in it. Mm. <laughs> There's no question about that. And oh, she's, yes. as things stand, I mean, I don't know whether anything's changed here, but we've got... Petra Kvitova mm. against Yelena Ostapenko down for round one in Eastbourne. <laughs> yeah, as it stands, I've just looked that up. Nobody's withdrawn yet. Wow. So. Okay. Well, we, <laughs> <laughs> we, we look forward to seeing what happens with that. Uh, we've also got Jessica Begula against Sheng Chin Wen uh, in round one. And. Uh, Jung is working with Wim Fassett now, who's worked with so many of the, the top players over the years. Elena Rebekina, as Catherine was saying, has withdrawn from Eastbourne with this viral illness. Um, and, uh, I mean, that, that's just such a blow. I, I did see the match she played against Donna Vekic, who was excellent the other day. So I don't want to read too much into it and put it down to the illness, but... The fact that she's now withdrawn from this, I mean, it suggests that she's not quite right. I mean, she didn't look quite right in that match. She was hitting a lot of errors. She looked pretty washed out, really. Um, and and really, yeah, I think I'm she'd pretty be, worried. Pretty she'd be worried most people's favourite, really, wouldn't she, Catherine? I think she she would be the favourite. I think going into Wimbledon if she was fully fit and everything. I think so. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we'd be looking at how she was playing in the warm up tournaments if if. If she were if she were fit, um, yeah, I think she would be. All other things being equal, Rabatkina would be the favourite. Um, and I don't know. It it feels if she if she's this far off being right three weeks on from the virus, it, that doesn't scream you're definitely going to be fine another one week on. No. From that, I think it's a big worry. Yeah, it is. Um, uh, Breaking news, I've just had a text from Pam Shriver asking me whether I get any points for runner-up position for Donna Vekic. <laughs> no. no. No, I don't, Pam. And I blame you for that. So, anyway. Um, but, uh, yeah, thank you for the memories of the run to the final. I enjoyed it while it lasted. Um, uh, other players that are going to be in Eastbourne, Beatrice Haddad-Meyer. Oh, God, it's not getting any better, is it, for my predictions, talking about 
Donovic's defeat. And now Beatrice Adadmire reminded me of her incredible form this time last year, which made me pick her for Wimbledon. Then she lost in the first round. Katie Bolter, Coco Goff, Ansh Jabir, Daria Kasatkina are all in the draw, so it's going to be a fantastic week in Eastbourne. Uh, there's the tournament as well that Iga Sviantek's playing in, in Bad Homburg in... Uh, the WTA 250 there. She's the top seed, is Fiontek, uh, with, uh, with Bianca Andreescu, Donna Vekic, uh, Ludmilla Samsonova, Leila Fernandez all in the draw. And men's tournaments are the ATP 250 in Eastbourne. Taylor Fritz is the top seed and defending champion. Stefano Sitsipas is in Mallorca. He's the top seed defending champion there. They've also got Ben Shelton, Alexander Bublik, and uh, Alejandro Davidovich Vekina. And uh, I'm afraid we're going to have to finish on some more crap news, folks. And that is the news that Annette Contivate is retiring after Wimbledon. She's only 27 years old. She was the world number two last year. I mean, you know, this is a player who just seemed to have cracked it, figured out tennis, figured out how to get the very best out of her game and, and to compete at the highest level. She had that incredible winning streak that went into the, the WTA finals, didn't she? And she got to the final there and... But she's she's suffered from lumbar disc generation degeneration, uh, a back condition which doesn't allow for full scale training or continued competition. And I mean, Catherine, I know you know a bit about that condition, and I, I'm just gutted for her. Yeah, not to make it about me, but I have lumbar disc degeneration, and. I can understand why Annette Contivate is unable to continue being a professional athlete. Um, I feel I really, I, I really desperately feel for her because uh, there's nothing that can be done about it. You can manage it, but it's it's degeneration. There is currently no um, no way of improving the health of your discs. Um, I am reassured by medical professionals that stem cell research is coming along very quickly. They're working uh, on it. They're, they're work- I've been assured that they're working on it, just just for me and Annette, um, but probably pr- probably not soon enough for, uh, for Annette Contivate's career. Um, my advice, Annette, would be get yourself a Peloton bike because uh, that's been the biggest biggest revelation for me since my diagnosis. And uh, having said, it's not about me. I have just talked about me. But I, uh, I'm i very sad for her. Mm. Yeah, Peloton yeah. bike. And uh, a dog. Uh, and a podcast. Those are all good things. Yeah, there's lots, there's lo- you know, there's lots of fun physical activity you can do. You just, you can't win top-level tennis matches. And lucky for me, I was never winning top-level tennis matches. So I'm fine. Mm. Anyway, feel for you, Annette, and, uh, well, wish you all the best in whatever you go into in the future. Um, A couple of other things before we uh, meet our two lovely mascots. Uh, Snicker and Doodle, little tease there. Uh, We've got our two uh, friends shows this week. In fact, one was recorded last week, which was the Netflix Netflix Breakpoint Review Part 2 episodes what is it? Six to ten. 
which uh, I have to be honest, I haven't watched any of those and I haven't listened to your show yet either, <laughs> Catherine and Matt. <laughs> but I very much plan to do both of those things this week uh, because uh, I, I am too a friend of the tennis podcast. Even <laughs> Does that work? Well, I can get access to it. And, uh, <laughs> and then uh, later this week, in fact, on Wednesday, we are recording our Tennis Relived edition for Wimbledon, which is focusing on the life and career of Fred Perry. So we are really excited about being able to delve into his past and Matt's been reading all about him and we've got audio archive from from Fred himself actually uh, which uh, the BBC Radio has been able to provide us with Um, and we've got a couple of interviews as well from people who knew Fred and will be able to tell us all about him. Um, So can't wait to delve into that. That'll be on Wednesday. So if you're not already a friend of the Tennis Podcast, become one and you'll get access to all this extra stuff. Right then, Snicker and Doodle, owned by Amy Tarr. They are five-year-old Maltese Shih Tzus uh, and they are brother and sister. Their favourite activity besides watching tennis is hanging out in Central Park with their posse of doggy pals and their favourite tennis players are Igor Svantec and Carlos Alcaraz. Catherine, what do they look like? Well, that ages them, doesn't it? That that helps you pinpoint their age, I mean, by who their favourite tennis players are. Uh, they look like Maltese Shih Tzu crosses. <laughs> David, this is what they look like. Um, very characterful, characterful faces. Very good at posing would be my main feedback. Getting two dogs to look at the camera and pose obediently in the same photo at the same time. Very impressive. Uh, So well done, Snicker and Doodle. They are lovely. I'm really missing Billie Jean at the moment. She's with my mum and dad. So that's making me crave doggy cuddles even more than I am doing. Mm. Well, they're lovely, and we are delighted to have them as our mascots. And you'll be able to see a picture of them in our next newsletter. So thank you to Snicker and Doodle for being our mascots this week. I have got my own mascot, Maisie, and we were so close, Maisie. I am so upset. Sorry. Uh, Catherine's got Xenia. Catherine was also quite close with Sebastian mm. Corder until he... Let down by Seb Corder. Got some unspecified injury that th- threw everything into the air. Uh, Matt's got Darwin, who, and Matt was nowhere near success this week. Where are you, Matt? Mine was the only prediction that didn't lose. Retired. Oh. Oh, oh, oh. We're, we're playing that game, are we? Do I get any points for that, Pam? No, Yannick Sinner <laughs> has let you down. Uh, Billie Jean the dog, whilst also being at Catherine's parents' house, is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. Our top folks and executive producers are Jamie, Hannah and Drew. Thank you all. And we have shout-outs, Matt. We have Michelle Dean, in Newport Beach, California. Wow. Michelle, have we got any Michelle tennis players? I can't think of any. Larcher de Brito. Marcha de Brito. Oh, very good. Very good. She's long since retired, but still, she counts. <laughs> well done, Matt Roberts. Michelle, thank you very much for being a friend uh, of the tennis uh, podcast. But both of us. Uh, all right, Catherine, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Quite right. I, d- I didn't know it, so you can both have uh, uh, brownie points for that. Matt, who else we got? We have Jessica Thompson in Melbourne. 
Hi, Jessica, like Pagula. Hello, Jessica. Yes, David's got in there. And Jordan Thompson, the love child <laughs> of Jessica Pagula and Jordan Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for being our friend. And she's from uh, Melbourne, you say, Matt? Yes. We like wonder, Melbourne. I wonder what Melbourne's like at this time of year. Less good. Less good. Okay, we'll we'll see you in six months. (laughs) (laughs) When it's good again. And finally, Matt. Finally, we have Angela Link. Right, Angela. Angela Angela. is from St. Louis. Like Angela Mortimer. Yes. St. Louis, Missouri. Yes, which is where Tim Ream is from. Oh. But yeah, back to Angela Mortimer. (laughs) He's a footballer, right? Yes, he's a legend. Yeah, okay. Angela Mortimer, a Wimbledon champion who beat Christine Truman in the uh, in the final. Yes, six more than sixty years ago now. Nineteen sixty-one. I think so. Mm. Yeah. And married to uh, John Barrett. Yeah, mm. former player and brilliant BBC commentator for many decades. So yeah, well done, Matt. Uh, again, and well done, Catherine. <laughs> you also got her. I keep doing this. Uh, Angela. out of history here at the end of the show. Um, thank you, Angela. Yeah, thank you for being uh, friends of the Tennis Podcast at Shout Out Level. If you would like us to come up with some strange reference points for your name, uh, you can be a friend of the Tennis Podcast at Shout Out Level as well. Just go to the link in our show notes. Not only do you get that unmissable experience you also get access hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter pretty litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness it's the world's smartest kitty litter Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. As to, I think we've, we've produced about 12, 13, something like that, podcasts this year, just for Friends of the Tennis Podcast. We are about another 20-odd last year. Uh, so they're all waiting for you. We've got Fred Perry coming later this week uh, and many more beyond this point in the calendar as well. We've got loads more coming your way uh, but we've got Wimbledon to look forward to first that will start for us on Friday with the draw show with our first live stream from Wimbledon bring it on Whoop. 